Greetings, SE Land. This is Twig, Anthony Twig Wheeler. This is episode number 45. 45, and I've been I've been looking forward to talking with you a little bit, not very much, I hope, about assisting and auditing the training, what to do after completing the training. One of the big questions out there in our, you know, in our community is what do we do after the primary learning is over? After this three-year training that we you know, we essentially purchase from SETI. We go through that training. We learn the basics, the fundamentals, a whole lot of practice, a whole lot of suggestions. We end up knowing a lot about what not to do. We somehow know a lot of what to do. And we can also feel that, as Peter Levine used to say at the beginning of his Advanced One trainings, now we're ready to begin. You know, in a way, we're we're starting to get the language and the foresight and the observational skills. We're then looking to refine. What do we do? How do we take this further? A lot of people ask me for a comment, an independent voice on what I think they should do. I got to tell you, I don't know what you should do. <laughs> you know, I, I can say that I hope that you'll continue your studies. I hope that you'll continue to look for more and more ways to develop your capacity with this information and these skills. And I don't know you. I don't know your specialty, and I don't know your particular bent on the world. I can share a few reflections, and that's what this podcast is all about. So here I go. One reflection is there are now, in a way that there never were before, but there are now such wonderful master classes or Ex, like extra studies that are associated specifically with the SC world. Back in an early podcast episode, I mentioned adjunctive studies that, that I took on, that I heard about as relevant to doing profoundly artful SE sessions as I was looking for at the time. And so I went and studied hypnosis, Ericksonian hypnosis, and Rolfing, the foundation of Rolfing and the foundation of body dynamics and all these kind of things, the character structure analysis of body dynamics. I did a lot of that and I'm I recommend those things. When you hear about Peter having studied something, you you go and look into that, you know, like oh, go buy that book, The Beauty Way. It's 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 just beautiful, it's gorgeous. You wanna have it. The Beauty Way by Dick Olney. And, you know, it's it's one that Steve really helped me see. Oh, wow, you know, that is that is so much the essence of what Peter is doing right there. Sure enough, you'll see in the beauty way lines that are replicated many a session in your own office and in Peter's sessions. And it just feels good that way to get inside the lineage behind all of this. And wonderful things have been coming about in the diversification of all of this information specialization in body work and pre and perinatal. One of my great regrets is that I never got to study with Ariel Giaretto, who focuses on pre and perinatal stuff. I've always seen that that's a, something that I missed out on. So many people go and do these ex, like extensive multi-year things with Kathy Kane and are able to translate their work from CD to table positions so much easier psychotherapists getting bodywork skills it's genius there what what i can say raja selman completely opened my mind when i took a 
adjunctive specialty workshop with him 10 years ago, really, on a kind of a combination that he was offering with, I think he's really developed this out, but with body dynamics and his own thought and with SE and led me right into body dynamics. Amazing. There are all these master classes. Now, I've said on this podcast that one of the great quotes in my background was a massage teacher, bodywork teacher, telling me that if the creator of the work that you're turned on by, that you're really excited about, is still doing their thing, try to go spend as much time with them as you can. And I took that seriously. I, for many years, tried to get involved in as many trainings with Peter directly as I could as a student and then eventually as an assistant. Really recommend that if you can do some master classes with Peter Levine directly, I would generally recommend that for everybody. And inside of this, what should you do? I don't know. I don't know. But there's two ways that I can immediately think about the value of these master classes. One, if you see a specialization or a kind of area of expertise that you're really attracted to, I would suggest that there's probably a master class out there in relationship to SE that you can engage with and get a whole lot more information specifically about that. Hands-on syndromes, like if I was if I was going to work with a lot of syndromal stuff, I would probably be thinking a whole lot about, well, everybody really, but Kathy Kane, I mean, she's just like down with that. Stephen Hoskinson and his organic intelligence, the root level of that, just really, really down with the dynamics of extremely small change necessary to reorient and reorganize an entire system. Very, very helpful. So if there's a specialization that you can see that you want to be able to work with, hands-on or, you know, children or whatnot, that stuff is out there. And I, I'd recommend that you go look at it in that way of enhancing your own interest in your own specialization. On the other hand, there are places maybe that you now see after going through the training that you can't, you don't know what to do. You have no idea how attachment you had no idea, maybe is how I want to say it. You had no idea how attachment dynamics might be interfering with your bodywork table sessions. Maybe it's a good idea to go spend a little bit of time with Diane Poolheller and get some information, get some solid, that's how attachment is influencing this. Or character structure, you know, like the NARM training with Larry Heller. I hear great things about that every time I hear from somebody around that. You... You just, you go get some solid information about how character structure, same with Raja Selvman. Uh, well, I, you know, like that's the thing. Everybody, they just, everybody's come up with so many great things. And if you see in your sessions that these areas of human experience where developmental issues and shock issues come into play, you're going to see SE specializations around it that you can go learn something about so that you can at least move things in your sessions back into the mainstream, even if you don't need to become a specialist. So a second reason to take these master specialty classes is to just simply understand the terrain so that when you're dealing with a shock situation, you're helping people work through their shock trauma, 
if their autonomy structure is expressing itself, their character structure and the autonomy phase of you can't tell me what to do, I'm going to kind of go my own way here, comes up, you might, you might want to know something about how the way we are, our personality, and when it's formed can influence how much we can readily participate with your request to just simply feel my body that way. Going on now, those two thoughts, expanding your own specialization, your own niche, your own skill set, including doing everything in order to become as artful as you possibly can, down to just making sure that these things that really confuse you or get in the way, now that you might have some orientation to them, you could go get a specialization that would allow you to, it's not even maybe just a full specialization there, maybe just more exposure, so that you, you can appreciate that sometimes you are the best referral. That's your best job. And if you just have a little bit more information, it could even help you to be more successful with the clients that you keep and be more helpful in becoming a referral source for maybe clients with attachment issues that you are not wanting or prepared to deal with. Those are valuable things, reasons to take master classes. Those are just a couple thoughts for me. And of course, there's what I'm trying to race toward here, which is assisting. And one thing that I'm going to lean on is auditing. Now with assisting, there's, there's just so many things to say. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not at liberty, I don't think, to say um, just how positive of an experience that is. I don't know if anything could could compensate for the learning that comes from that, you know, just, or could replace that, it, just the opportunity. I'm just going to name this and apologize for anybody who this is too transparent for, but I'm just going to name this. The opportunity to sit as an assistant in beginning trainings and watch a lot of good-hearted, well-intentioned, but practically novice people try to do this together and facilitate sessions where people like kind of, you know, actually become invested and involved and watch their somatic experience become itself and move through and find the right exits and all of those things. It's a very nuanced kind of craft at some level, right? We've agreed on that. You, you agree with me on that? There's nothing like watching a lot of people try to do that and not do it very well. You know, it's one of the beautiful things about the training, I could say. The pedagogical process in the SE training, at least all of the episodes that I've been involved with, all of this, you know, different classes that I've ever been involved with, really well done. Like, you, you're not sent out to fail. You know, you're, you're encouraged to make mistakes while you're practicing, but you're not sent out into triads and everything to fail. You're sent out with, with instruction sets that are reasonable and doable. So the chances of success are very, very high. And from, from the position of a learned person, as you are once you're an assistant, you can see these early attempts as, oh, that's one way to say that. And, oh that's a way that I probably don't want to say that. And then you'll hear things, you'll see things that you get to reflect on as an assistant in your own mind that help you understand what works and what doesn't really, really well. Because you get to have the opportunity 
to see so many different people try it on. That, that's a privileged position. And, and I, you know, I think we got to thank all the assistants who do it because it's, it's a volunteer position and historically at least, and it's a, um, it's a real gift. It's also a real tit for tat. It's a real reciprocity because as an assistant, you get so much, you get so much out of doing that role and being in that role, the request upon yourself for, you know, your own self-regulation, the, the, just the request not to answer everybody's question. I don't know if everybody's figured that out, but there's a certain need, a certain desire inside of this for you to be hungry, for you to be curious, for you to try to put the pieces together yourself. So as you're a student going through the training, there's this really easy tendency to want to look for somebody to give you the answer. And so you kind of start looking for anybody with more experience than you and you start going and asking those questions that, you know, could say, if this happens, what do I do then? And of course, in our work, if this happens, there might be several different options of what you as who you are do then inside of your skill set with your client in that moment. It's very, it's a paradigm that we're learning and not exactly a this, then that kind of instruction set. Although it is nice to have some templates sometimes, don't we agree? Well, in that role as an assistant, part of the design is not to simply answer the question, but in order, but instead to, you know, facilitate the learning process, the engagement, the interest, the curiosity to, to reinvestigate the question with, you know, somebody who's asking us a question and not to necessarily be the experienced expert. And yet assisting gives you this opportunity to feel that role of having more prestige. That's a, that's a thing. It's a thing you have as an assistant, more prestige. And you know, one of the things that that does for you is that in a SE session, the more prestige you have, the more you're reluctant, um, or less than super enthusiastic client will go along with you. You know, even the really enthusiastic clients, sometimes you want them to go along with you less and you need more prestige in order for them to participate just a little bit less. Like we need to do just a little bit less here. And the more prestige you have in the room, the more rapport you have, the more position, the more your client is thinking to themselves, this person really knows what they're talking about. This person really knows what they're doing. This person can really help me. The more they're going to listen to your request and you can, can you know, you can be more gentle about guiding their attention, really. That's being in an assistant role gives us the opportunity to cultivate more of that prestige. And there's no question it helps translate in our sessions back in our offices where, you know, you can, you can kind of be sitting there like, well, I was helping other people learn this last weekend. I feel just a little bit more confident to be here in my office helping my clients with this work myself. Assisting has so many values and I just can't go into all of them. I just, I just couldn't, I shouldn't, I won't. I'll say thank you to everybody who ever let me assist with them, brought me on their team, primarily Stephen Hoskinson, but certainly a few others. And, um, and I'll say thanks to everybody who I assisted with because wow, many, many years 
weekend after weekend, month after month, I was seeing a lot of you in different places. And I think it's just a really cool thing that we did and, and do. And I'm so glad that so many of you are probably still continuing. I'm going to continue one a year. That's my limit now. I used to do five or six and whoa, that was, that was not, that was not <laughs> sustainable, but it was certainly the time and it was certainly a great thing. And I'm so grateful. Here's what I really want to tell you. The best little secret that I ever found for learning how to apply this work in my personal work back in my office, not helping the learning process for other people, but helping the learning process for myself was auditing, auditing, auditing the training. Now this is like an actual thing in the world, right? You, you can go to a university and you can oftentimes register and audit a class, not be a registered student, not be a kind of credit-taking student. SETI used to, I hope it still does, I, I, I hope it still does, has a process where if there was still room in a training that ne didn't necessarily have all the student seats filled up, then a alumni, somebody who had already taken the training, could come back and audit the class. You can take the class a second time. And there's a reduced fee to it, which is helpful for you as a return person. And there's also maybe some kind of guidelines around it, you know, from, from SETI. I don't know. I do know that that is a magnificent position to learn from. You know, let's, 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 let me just say it the way that I, I say it regularly when people ask me about this. And I recommend that people ask me, what should I do after I take the training? Should I assist? Should I take a master class? And I say, maybe you should take a master class because perhaps it's super good for a specialty you want to get into, or you want to get super artful, or you're really concerned that you don't know enough about this thing and it's going to get in the way of your work. Or you want to assist because you want to just really develop your skills with the work, really understand the curriculum, you want to move toward teaching or faculty, perhaps, which would be part of the process. You want to, you know, get it again. You want to be involved in the social network that is, you know, that much closer inside the SE community, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe there are other reasons to assist. For sure there are. Or maybe what you're after, that's what I say to you now, maybe what you're after is auditing. Because think about it this way. The first time you go through a training like this, no matter what it is, but certainly something around trauma, the first time you listen to all this information, you're doing your very best to parse it out. And one of the places you have to parse it from is yourself. You have to, you know, oh, that's me. Oh, my mom was like, oh, that happened to my dad. Oh, oh, you know, that that's me. That's us. That's, you know, and then you move off to your friends. Like the whole time you're going through the training, all but, but you know, the the most clear-headed of us who are just there for the professional element all but but those you know super super clear people i don't know who you are but you're super clear the rest of us are all in there thinking oh my gosh i'm turning into a hypochondriac these all these things reflect I, am i global high am i you know did that how all of these things that happen and we learn so many things so quickly inside of this amazingly informative training about what has happened to people and what the responses are. And then we're working on ourselves and kind of getting our own systems clearer at the same time. We get triggered. We are paying attention to other things. 
we don't necessarily hear all of the detailed, highly informative, and extremely helpful clinical information that is right there inside the training. We oftentimes don't hear it because even though it's right there, we're hearing, oh, I fell off my bicycle. I wonder if that's why my head always tilts over to the left. When we take the training, you know, as an audit a second time, and we're not there hearing the information for the first time or over-concentrating on our own experience, there's a lot more room to hear all of that highly valuable, this is how you do it, this is how you apply this, back in your own office information that is actively in the training. Of course, it's embarrassing to think, oh, I'm going through a training and I'm not going to know how to do this when I get out of it. That's not true. You, you are. People, people do. We do. It's just a matter of getting this deeper level that so many people look for out of something that has so much richness that takes that much time to develop. How are you going to do that more? You're going to do it in your office by yourself? Okay, good. Keep practicing. You're going to listen to my podcast. Maybe that'll help. You're going to read some books. You're going to take some adjunctive trainings. You're going to watch some videos. You're going to, you know, talk with friends. Maybe you're going to take some of these master classes. Maybe you're going to assist. Maybe what you're going to do, this is just this little thing I have. Maybe what you're going to do is one time put yourself back in the environment where you already were, where the last time you were in that environment, it was challenging in some way. It was the first time you were there in this case, the first time you went through the training. You were trying to pay attention to a lot of things. Part of them were your own experience. Part of that in relationship to this is related to activation. We have a hard time taking in a lot of stuff when we're dealing with a lot of activation. If that's moving through in waves, great. That's wonderful. If it's sometimes spiking out and kind of creating little blocks because that's where our trigger was, we miss that part of the training. It's just really what happens. It's great overall in specific. What if we now put ourselves, what if you put yourself back in that similar situation, but you don't have as many things to pay attention to? You're calmer now. You feel better now. You've got more free attention. Things are more familiar to you. You can listen differently. You can think differently. You can practice differently. When you go back to the information a second time as an assistant and you get re-exposed that way, it's perfectly sound. It's a wonderful thing. I'm really a fan. It's what I did. Well, I did both of these. But, okay, yeah, I did both of these. I, I audited and I assisted. And when you go back as an assistant, you immediately are in a new role where there's a new responsibility, where there's a new level of, am I going to fit in here? Am I going to be successful here? You know, we're, we just have this primate template, guys. I, I don't know what else to say. It's just part of being human. Every time we get in a social scene, we are going to have these questions. Do I fit in? It's part of what happens, particularly with social groups that change. Think back in hunter-gatherer times, your social group didn't change very much. You kind of knew where you were. Nowadays, we're constantly changing into new social groups, and we have to figure out, am I going to fit in? 
Fortunately, this is a really wonderful and inclusive community that we're a part of, which is part of why we like to hang out with it so much and stick around, volunteer our time, because it does feel so nice to be with so many people who are trying to get so clear-eyed and clear-headed, clear-hearted. So look here, if you go back into assisting as the next exposure to the information, perfectly sound thing to do, and it is a step toward another responsibility that as valuable as it's going to be to watch everybody practice and as valuable as it's going to be to help everybody stay in their curiosity about the information, as valuable as it's going to be to hear the information again, as valuable as it's going to be to be involved in the, the meeting space and the appreciation of the curriculum and all these kinds of things, there's going to be these roles involved that are going to, going to take away some of your attention for focusing on what just exactly what is this and what am I doing here and how am I going to take this back to my office right away it works totally works assisting totally works in that way and auditing whoa it's a little bit like just stepping back into the safety zone and getting super successful right there before then reaching out to what you might do next so with that I'm going to take one more moment here on this extended Twigs SE Reflections podcast episode number 45 all about assisting and auditing and what class to take and how to continue your your interest and enthusiasm for this after the fact after you've done this official original training what I wanted to say last is that in in one of you know so I have my own refinement things right I've concentrated on a few things marketing little protocol series workshop that was really good my languaging things those are my primary things right how do we communicate the words we use why do we use those words when do we use those okay so knowing our lines practicing our lines in practicing our lines the comedy improv class that i do for se practitioners i break out this game in comedy improv it's called patterns and it's a simple kind of icebreaker get to know people get to get a group together game you can do this yourself sometime you have a group of people six is a minimum eight better 20 is a lot of fun 40 in japan was amazing so you get that group of people together everybody's in a circle now you're going to have two balls these balls are not hard they're soft in some way i use squishy balls in a um well they're soft enough and they're different. They're unique. They're clearly unique. Now, taking one ball, putting it aside, grabbing the other, introducing to the group that the task is for everybody to start with their hand, one hand on their head. Having your hand on their head means you have not received the ball yet. When somebody throws you the ball, you're going to remove your hand on the head. That's your signal that, you know, you've already received the ball. We're going to create a pattern of throwing this ball around the group. Everybody's going to receive it once. Everybody's going to throw it, receive it from one person, throw it to somebody else. It's never going to repeat because we have that signal, took the hand off the head. So it's all going to go around a pattern of this group. The only thing you have to remember is who threw the ball to you and who you threw it to. So those are the instructions, right? We'll start. Everybody's not received the ball, so we'll have our hands on our head. When somebody throws you the ball, whoop, you catch it, take your hand off your head, you throw it to somebody else, you remember who threw it to you and who you threw it to. Now I'll say, if you throw this ball and somebody doesn't know you're about to throw it, and 
you know, it hits them in the face or it hits them in the chest or something like that, it's not the person who didn't catch its fault. It's the person who threw its fault, right? So it's kind of part of the responsibility of playing this game that before you throw this ball, you know that the person is going to catch it. It's only polite and, you know, you don't want to be responsible for hitting somebody with this thing. Now, just as a parenthesis, in that class, I lean on that principle as an idea that that's exactly what you're trying to do in your sessions. Why ask a question to your clients when they're not going to catch it? Why ask them, can you feel that in your body right now when they're going to say, um, I don't know. Why would you do that? Don't do that. It's just like throwing a ball and they're not going to catch it. It's going to hit them. You're going to look foolish. You're the one responsible for that at this level of the game. Back to the game now. So there's the pattern, right? We're all going to pay attention. We're going to create this pattern. So then I throw the ball out. Ball goes around. I'm the last. The ball comes back to me. It's a perfect pattern. Everybody gets it. One to one to one. Remembers who threw it to them, who they threw it to. Ends up coming back to me. Now, right away, I'm going to repeat the same pattern. I'm going to take the same ball and I'm going to throw it out, have us repeat the same pattern. Whoever threw it to you, throws it to you. Whoever you threw it to, you throw it to, without the hands on the head. Not necessary now. Now we're going to do this several times. We're going to play this game out, or this pattern out, where we repeat the same pattern. And what are we doing? We're repeating it. What's that doing? It's making it so we all remember it easier. Yeah. Once it's really clear that the whole group has it, that there's a lot of flow, that it's really easy, that there's no hesitation, there's no fear of us missing this, there's a moment of group cheer. It feels that way. Everybody feels, oh, we know how to do this. You know, this feels good. We can get going fast with it even. You can throw the balls quick, the, the single ball in that pattern very quickly amongst the group, and it comes back to me at the beginning. Everybody gets it accurately. It's a beautiful thing. Everybody says, yay, cheer. One, two, three, clap actually is what I do. Once we establish that first pattern, I then put the ball aside and grab the other ball. It looks different. I name the exact same rules. We'll start the same way, hands on the head. We're going to create an entirely new pattern. Your only responsibility is to throw, remember who threw it to you and remember who you threw it to. Here we go. You're not going to be responsible for throwing it to somebody who's not ready because you're always going to be paying attention. Are they ready to catch this? And so we do a second pattern. We do the same thing. We build it up until it's firmly established as something we can do smoothly, easily, without missing a beat. Everybody claps, and I reach over. I pick up both balls. Yeah, one's a juggling ball. It's kind of soft. The other one's a cushy ball. It's kind of soft. They're different. One represents the first pattern. The other one represents the second pattern. And at this point, hopefully without instructions, I simply toss the balls to the start of each pattern for each specific ball, right? The person who receives the first one, the person who receives the second ball first. And look to see if the patterns can play themselves out, if everybody can simply put it together that we have these two unique patterns, we have these two balls that represent the unique patterns that when they go off to one another, we can follow them through. All we have to do is remember who threw it to us and who we threw it to keep it moving forward. That's the game. Oftentimes, right at the beginning there, without any instruction, there's a warble. 
right? There's a, what are we doing? Until the group kind of figures out what we're doing and puts it together. And sometimes the increased titration of that two balls at the same time causes a lapse and things fall apart. Sometimes it moves right through to complete success and we get that great cheer of an even stronger magnitude of success. Sometimes when it falls apart, it falls apart so much that we need to back up. Where do we back up to? We back up to putting one of the balls aside and doing one pattern, reestablishing that, switching, getting out the other ball, maybe ball number two at this point, and doing the second pattern, reestablishing that before once again trying to put them back together. In doing that game, I'm playing with so many different rules around titration, the feeling of success, holding back the feedback so as to see how much can happen, but then trying not to let the system fall apart and coming in with feedback before it does, trying to move things from one success to the next while still increasing the challenge. In going from the training where we're spending so much time both learning new information as original students and then also kind of working and processing on our own how am I going to apply this and what does this really mean for me as we go from that it's a little bit like establishing the first pattern we get out of it finish the three years we feel good about it some of us some some percentage there must be it must be a pretty big percentage because I I've been tracking I've been watching I, I, I have at this point friends all over the world who are long past the training who are still fully involved in this learning community so this is really robust at some point there there is a desire to continue and go on to the next level of the game moving straight up to assisting or to another specialty course makes complete sense you can do that and probably have a whole lot of flow and sometimes in my game and practicing our lines when we're doing these this pattern game the most successful feeling comes when the two patterns try to get going and fail and fail so much that we break it back down and go back and just do the very basics again where we reestablish that's pattern one we reestablish that's pattern two and then we put them together with great intensity of attention that we want to be able to succeed at throwing these two balls around this circle of 10 20 people together at the same time and have it all go smoothly one person to the next in just the right order the feeling of success at the end of that is often the strongest and i think that's because everybody feels most competent and Part of what will matter the most in our sessions with our clients is the feeling of our competency. So sometimes I wonder if maybe the best thing we could do for going forward is to go back and start again. I think that you get what I'm saying, and I wish you all the best. Take good care now. Bye-bye. Going back to the namesake there, Twig's SE Reflections. Pretty reflective. I'm trying to talk to a lot of people 
the same time, a lot of different interests, a lot of different levels of attention. That's that's its own challenge. I hope I wasn't too rambly there. You know, but if, if you're still listening, it, it does mean I can do something. I can thank you. Thank you directly, specifically, for listening. You know, part of the podcast thing is that I, I get a little statistic readout, how many people are listening. I love it when it's not zero. Oh, warms my heart. Thanks for doing that. You can drop me a line, too. Liberationispossible.org backslash reflections.